How's it going, everyone? And uh, welcome to Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree. Uh, you will be hearing this on Monday morning, uh, but we are recording it late on Saturday, on Sunday evening. Uh, I'm half of your host, Nicholas Farmer, and I'm joined by the other half of your host, Gabriel Kraus. Gabriel, how's it going? <laughs> it's the drone. It's the drone attack. <laughs> wow. So, um, hmm, what's happened over the weekend? Uh, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Uh, and uh, also, there was an American election. <laughs> so yeah, I did. I saw that on. I I went to Twitter. Yeah, I was I was going through yeah. channels and I came across there was something about it. Some guy called Biden or something is is I don't uh, know. Buy dome, anyway. buy buy more. <laughs> <laughs> buy Biden. Well, yeah, I, no, I, he I'm not actually sure. I'm not actually sure what we said to the to the audience specifically last time. Although I believe that we said that we thought Biden would win. Um, we did, and we said with that we thought he would have a bit of a narrow win. And uh, it's looking right now, they're still finalizing the final counts. Um, but that, so we all took bets, right, in the office betting pool. Uh, a yeah, whole bunch so of if we're going to be a little bit smug for the first two minutes of this, please allow us <laughs> that. So uh, Gabriel bet that uh, Biden would win with around somewhere close to 287 electoral college votes. Uh, and I bet that Biden would win between uh, around 306 electoral college votes and depending on the final count uh basically either gabriel or i is going to be the winner of the bet <laughs> at this point in our office pool. so we there was a lot of people and the bets were very split and we yeah it was yeah, right so down the line get a case Biden of beer. And, and we haven't discussed this before but nick i'm putting you on the spot here if you mm. win that case mm. do i get one of those beers can i share one of those 100 100%. If I get the case, you 100% have to come over and share one of those beers. Definitely. Definitely and we might down. even shoot an episode of Two Crickets uh, while sharing a beer and smug about the fact that we can see the future. So, you know. <laughs> this time. <laughs> here are our words. He, he, what, what, what's, what's it they say that at, at financial institutions? Um, past results not indicative of future returns? <laughs> yes. Yes. Also that. It's very much our caveat. But, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. the first thing we need to talk about is, was it stolen? Yeah. Well, I think the first thing we need to talk about is, so is it stolen. actually over? Is it over? Let's do, is it over, and then, is it stolen? Yes. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Uh, is it over? Uh, almost certainly, yes. Um, recounts and have been extreme... almost as important because, yeah. you know, let the process run its course. Right. Uh, you know, a process... There is a process and a process which can, in theory, change results. Final results aren't certified for the various states for quite some time. Um, but there, historically speaking, there is an incredibly low uh, number of races that have ever been changed by recounts, by legal challenges. Um, you can just look to 2000 when Bush and yeah. Gore were within 2000 votes of each other in Florida, which is a much tighter margin than most of these states. In fact, it is a tighter margin than every single one of these states so far. And uh, it did not, uh, recounts and legal challenges, none of these things actually turned around the result of the event of the of the election there uh, and it ended up going to Bush. And, and uh, part of the Florida Supreme Court's judgment and part of the, the Supreme Court of the United States judgment was based on the fact that they were very reluctant to be seen to be changing the effect. So it, it's partly technicalities to do with the laws of large numbers and the way that votes are counted, but it's also part of the fact that the courts don't want to be seen to be deciding the election. So there's two it's, kinds of obstacle. It's also that the number of votes changed in a recount is usually below a thousand. Yeah. Um, so that's the technical side. And, and, and yeah. even in was, so in Georgia, you know, Trump could probably, I think if, if Trump wins Georgia, then I win the bet. If Trump loses Georgia, Nicholas wins the bet. Um, yeah. Uh, and that really is very tight. Um, That's 4,000 votes, I think, currently separating them, something like that. Yeah. I'll actually look it up right but now. The next one is like Wisconsin at like something. That's already getting to the point where it's hard to see it happening. And, so just to give a yeah. sense of how it could happen if it does happen, um, because of the extremely high 
red mail-in ballots and the provisional voting system where basically you can send in a mail-in ballot and then go vote in the day and then it's up to the counters to make sure that they double count. The only hope that the Republicans and Donald Trump really have, in my opinion, is that they can find a tranche of like 10,000 votes that were somehow double counted rather than right. sort of the, the second version being removed. And that might flip a state like Wisconsin and that might be enough if he wins Georgia. It's still, It still wouldn't be enough if he only wins Georgia and Wisconsin. So then that would trigger enough insecurity that I think the courts would feel more open to mm. other legal challenges. I mean, it's just really, but we, it's like a hope yeah, prayer we, kind of thing. But but I just uh, I just want to say it's it's wise not to foreclose the conclusion entirely. It's it, it's better to say, as Nicholas did, it's almost a certain thing than to say it's 100% a certain thing. Just because the world can be surprising. And if you commit yourself to a claim like it's 100% for sure, as a lot of my friends are doing on Facebook, both uh, Trump haters and Trump lovers, um, then I think you you put your own esteem, your own status on the line. Then you end up defending the status quo, not because of the facts, but because you already said it's 100% sure. Um, yeah. So that's just a good reason to just keep that almost. It, you know, it doesn't cost anything. That's kind of my thing. The, uh, like, the current, the current uh, gap in Georgia is 10,195 votes. Um, our listeners in the future may, in fact, know more than us uh, as to what yeah. the final count was there. These are... Uh, I must say that there were some really frustrating parts in this long, drawn-out counting process. Um, the fact that it was so close in so many states meant that they were very hesitant uh, to project who was going to win a lot of these states, the, they being the, um, the, Major the news, news networks. News, yeah, the news networks. Um, Although the one exception, these states is, yeah. sorry, the one exception to that is Arizona, which was called absurdly right. early. By Fox yeah. News of, of all places, which I think is kind of, you know, Fox News has historically called first and called best. Yes. And they. I think they've never made a mistake in 20 years. Yeah, they're amazing. They really are. Like, it's one of those things that, you know, people who, who hated Fox, and there was really a lot of good reason to resent Fox during the Obama era. A lot of the same mistakes that CNN made during the Trump era, sort of calling the president a fascist and... Uh, sort of getting faux panels where you really set up a uh, strong. I, I, I have a slight. Your opinion side uh, was very irritating. I find their opinion side very irritating, but their yeah, but their I, hard news side really was worth the respect that it got from media experts. I think, and the, I think the hardest problem with, was the was the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I agree with that. Um, I think one of the big problems really with Fox though is, especially of late, they've really so. They've often done this thing where they've gone really hardcore opinion on one side, which is like really strongly conservative. And then they've gone reporting, which is actually pretty solid. Um, and at various times, they've had a wall between those. But every now and again, there's a bit of a weakening between those walls. Like you can't like if you go to their website, right, and you look at the stories, they mix opinion and news together in what I find a very irritating way. And so it's sometimes a really a little bit difficult to tell what's good, hard, solid reporting and what's basically opinion. Um, and that has actually annoyed me quite a lot. And I think they've been kind of bad at it recently. Um, if you go look at their front page now, you'll have, you know, some really objective, clear-minded reporting right next to, uh, you know, Donald Trump is the second incarnation of Christ <laughs> sort of stuff. And it's not always easy to tell which is the reporting and which is the, uh, which is the opinion until you've actually read the piece and it becomes apparent then, but it's just, it's just, it, it does, I think, distract from their credibility sometimes. I hear you. I hear you. I have crossed um, in my mouth, so you have to talk. <laughs> so let's get to the Sorry. important question. And this is, was it stolen? And uh, Trump has said it was stolen. He said that now repeatedly. Um, he said that there, we were, I can't remember the exact quote, but we were winning. It was all going so well. Quite frankly, we've won this election. And all of a sudden, all these magic ballots appeared all across the country and shifted the election towards Biden. Now, I think the first thing to talk about here is something that uh, a lot of commentators predicted um, and uh, 
uh, a guy who's covered the election pretty well and who we've drawn a lot from, Nate Silver, um, from the website 538. He talks who, about by the way, was the, the most smug about Fox News calling Arizona too early. Because just to put a bow <laughs> yeah. on that point, because they called Arizona so early and then the Associated Press followed with that, the Associated Press being pretty much one of America's most respected sort of hard news reporting syndicates. Um, yeah. It made the electoral map a bit skewed. So then if they called other states that were actually much higher in the count, like they called Arizona when it was at 75% or something. And then you've got Nevada yeah. and various other states sitting at like 98% and then they're not calling it because if you call that mathematically, it puts it over the top, but there's a chance that Arizona they could have back. Call the election, yeah. So they'd have had to call the election and then recall the election, which is a much bigger deal than calling a state and then recalling a state. So what they should have done, as Nate Silver repeatedly said, is just say, we made a mistake with Arizona. We called it too soon. We're going to call Nevada and then wait to see how Arizona plays out. But to save face, they kind of just wrote it out. And anyway, so yeah. Nate Silver is the well, kind of guy who's like a little technocrat. And he's probably on a team and it's probably Team Blue. But he's like the real team he's on is being technical and correct. And so he was right. being very smug about sort of guys playing partisan politics and, and sort of esteemy games. And uh, anyway, so uh, so he, yeah, he wrote as this article saying. about what they called the, the red mirage and the blue shift. So what does this mean? This means that because of the differences in how uh, people who supported each candidate were voting in the in the way that they voted, Democrats tended to vote by post, um, and those votes in some states were counted second, um, and in some states were counted first. And this meant that what happened was a lot of these states, uh, they counted the, the votes cast on the day. Now, Trump was very critical of mail-in ballots all over the place, so his voters overwhelmingly voted um, on the day. And in the states where they counted those first, suddenly he shot ahead. He, you had this uh, red mirage, as they called it, where it looks like Trump is just completely invincible because he's, his numbers are going up all over the place. And then they reaches a point when they run out of votes that were cast on the day and they start opening the mail-in ballots, which were overwhelmingly for Biden. And then suddenly you see Trump's numbers going down, down, or at least, you know, staying basically flat and Biden's numbers going up and up and up. And so there was a red mirage, as in a uh, false vision of what looked like a red map, in other words, pro-Donald Trump, but then it shifted to a blue map, which is where Biden was in charge. So this is unusual because we've never had an election with so many mail-in ballots. Um, and this is, of course, mostly driven by COVID because people were worried about going to the polls. And it turns out that if you vote for Biden, you tend to be more worried about coronavirus in general. And so that was yet another reason to to do a mail-in ballot. Um, in fact, of all of the things I can look at, of, if you look at the exit poll, most of it's about social identities, black, white, male, female, upper income, lower income, Jewish, Christian, Catholic, Protestant, atheist, and so on. Um, none of them seem to cut as sharply across the political divide, or sorry, in line with the political divide, as the sort of mail-in versus not mail-in in several states. So this, the, the fact that you've had this sort of red mirage and blue wave in so many places, I think turns out to be, and this is not a point that I've seen highlighted anyway, it turns out to be yet another indicator that the thing that really decided this election was uh, people's attitudes to COVID-19. Right. That's one right. point to make. Another point to make that I think has been somewhat overlooked is that um, the selection fraud idea turns to some extent on on the uh, often caution against, uh, which is that when one word has two meanings, you can find a failure to communicate because some people talk about the word according to one meaning and others talk about the word according to the other meaning and you don't really have a basis that can be resolved by the empirical investigative process science investigation journalism and so on uh, but instead it really just becomes a semantic thing so what do i mean by that so was there fraud in this election my answer to that question is absolutely yes. I can't think of any election the size of America's 
at any time in the last several decades where anyone could reasonably claim that there was not a single ballot that was right. fake. That would be uh, crazy. Let me, give you, yeah. let me give you a good example of how that, like something, like an opportunity for how that could occur. In a lot of states, they actually mailed out ballots to every single address and said, hey guys, if you want to vote by mail, just return this ballot. Um, and there are various cases where someone may have returned the ballots and then gone to vote in person anyway. And now they're supposed to check you uh, that to make sure that you haven't already returned your mail-in ballot. But in some cases, maybe someone either willingly or unwittingly made a mistake. In other cases, they sent mail-in ballots to, to an address where someone didn't actually live there. Um, and then someone managed and then to forge the their signature. And forge their signature. Yeah. Or even to the same family, like four people are residing at an right. address. And, and then the mom and goes dad, and votes all for the same dad's person. Dad's a bit dilly yeah. because he's like, he works very hard and he doesn't really know what he's doing. So so mom votes on his behalf or, you know, granddad's sort of semi, whatever, you know, there's just no ways that there was no voter fraud. So right. the claim that there was fraud in this election is like, that is a hundred percent true claim. The more interesting right. claim. And so you've got some guy saying there was fraud. Therefore, the election was stolen. No. Yes. No, <laughs> because the fact that there was like one or two votes or however many being uh, manipulated, you know, you can also have people when you have home voting, you can also have someone coercing someone else. Like, you know, right. I want to see you. I saw one of the common threads that I've seen on my Facebook from uh, my friends. I'll say I'll, I'll name one of my friends, Lindy Lee. She. She's really great. She was the Prince class of 2012. Uh, she's run to be a congresswoman. I think she's a stellar leader. I think she's really together. I think she's very uh, sort of centrist in the Democratic Party. And she didn't win. So she supported the Biden campaign this time around. And she put a, a post up saying, I'm so glad to see. She's Asian American, by the way. I suppose that matters because of the post. She said, I'm very glad to see my Asian American super conservative father um, leading a, a Biden-Harris sort of rally event thing in pennsylvania and and i think that's great classic social media politics good for her but then i saw some of my other friends on princeton maybe who saw her too maybe not i don't know i'm just trying to contrast a good example with a bad example i saw some friends literally say my dad voted for the republicans for the last his whole life and he voted for biden harris this time that's how i know he's a good father <laughs> well <laughs> that's the sugar nut. I mean, that's actually insulting. Yeah, no. That's, like this that's, oak, like put you under a roof. He fed you. He clothed you. He taught you how to speak English. He like loved you. He he held you when you went through breakups and and put you back on your feet again when you didn't know. I know these people. These are my friends, and they're saying that their father's a good person and a good father because he voted for someone. It's just crazy. Yeah, but that, so, that's, but that kind of coercion. You know, maybe that person says. I want to see you actually put it down. And if you undermine the secret ballot, then you're undermining a fundamental aspect of the thing. So there, I'm sure that there were a couple of instances of that. The question is, was there enough of that to change the outcome of the election? And so far, and we have very little evidence that there is. It, there's strong evidence that there isn't. The margins are so yeah. great, especially if Biden ends up winning Georgia, then it's it's not just one state, it's a couple of states that he wins by. So it's got to, you know, so I feel like you've got one camp. In fact, you've got both camps having this fight about whether there was election fraud or not. And you've got Trumpkin saying there was election fraud, therefore the election was stolen, which is going from one or two ballots, you know, to some minuscule amount of ballots being tampered with to the whole election's outcome being different to what it would have been. And that's an extrapolation that's unsubstantiated right. at this point. To the other side saying, no, there was no election fraud at all, which is just yes. crazy. <laughs> so, and and yes. have we seen this before? We've seen this exactly before. And this is part of what irritates me so much about it. If this was the first time, I'd say this is new. It's hard for people to deal with it. It's yeah. traumatic. It's confusing. But this is not new. This is a sequel to a very flippant, boring movie. In 2016, <laughs> there was this huge debate about the word interference. And philosophers, anyone will tell you, any dictionary, consult a dictionary. When I say philosophers, I mean just people who attend to the meanings of words. If you look up interference <laughs> in a dictionary, you'll find two different definitions. On one of those definitions, an interference occurs just in case someone has tried to interfere. In another definition, an interference has occurred just in case someone has interfered such that the outcome is different to what it would have been if they hadn't interfered. And 
yes, is people just refuse to acknowledge that the same word can have two meanings. So all of the secret <laughs> intelligence services say Russia did interfere in the election and specify that there is no evidence that they changed the outcome of the election. What right. does Team Blue do? They say Russia stole the election because there was yes. interference, therefore they changed the outcome, they stole the election. And then what does Team Red do? For the most part, they say, no, there was no interference at all, which is not true. Right. <laughs> So right. it's no, the that's, same that's, that's story, exactly and right. I find it extremely excruciating, and I think it sets yeah, us up for it's even worse because it's literally the same that. people who made one argument the one time, reversing their opinion now four years later. Um, okay. Demonstrating Let's perhaps pick up a drink because I'm about to quote Kwame Anthony Appiah. As a bowling <laughs> team and a bunch of batters change their roles after an innings but continue to play exactly the same game, we behold the game of cricket. This is exactly go. what's happening. Team Blue and Team Red Precisely. have just changed from bowling and batting, but it's still flipping cricket. And you and know it's what? Quite I love cricket, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so childish. It is. It is. And I'm shocking. not saying anyway. people must investigate. People must investigate the fraud. People, you know, figure it out. But like at yeah, this yeah, day, yeah, like, like Trump, Trump almost has the right to take that Biden stuff. won. Yes. Right. Yeah. And Trump has the right to take it to court. But here's how it's going in court so far. I believe of the nine uh, court processes that have concluded so far, uh, the Trump administration is zero for nine. And in one of the cases, the judge said, the evidence you have brought is not even hearsay. It's hearsay of hearsay. So <laughs> it, ain't, <laughs> it ain't looking good for him. Um, and... Oh, okay, let's talk about let's talk about what how how Trump reacted. Trump has said the election was stolen and that he won it big and he won it with seventy one million legal votes. Fair and square. Gabriel, you go first. What do you think of what he's what he's saying, the claims he's making, um, okay, and what so, the effect this will be? So I'll put my sympathetic Trump hat on, and I've got such a hat, and I'm proud to have such a hat. I will sympathize with anyone and try and understand where they're coming from. Anyone. Um, especially if they're powerful, because it's very important. I think that Trump, to some degree, has learned from his enemies. And the New York Times, which, by the way, has been really good on reporting on this particular election. The New York Times won a Pulitzer Prize and, uh, you know, pushed very hard on this idea of Russia stealing the election and changing the outcome and thereby discrediting Trump's presidency. And, you know, impeachment charges were launched and then tried it on Ukraine and they got the impeachment, but they didn't get it through the Senate. You know, he was hamstrung. It's amazing how much he managed to achieve despite that, but he was hamstrung by this claim of not our president. And it's such a repugnant thing to say not our president. Like, I have, I'm so unhappy with so many things the ANC's done, but I've never said not our president. It just... It just undermines democracy. Anyway. That's yeah, actually so much worse. He, has, he is our president. And we have to deal with him. <laughs> yes. You've got to be real. But he's seen these guys invent this cloud cuckoo land thing and get a lot of likes out of it and make a lot of money out of it. And the New York Times made more money out of Trump than they made in the 10 years before. So I think from a marketing perspective, thinking about his life outside of the White House, he's like, dude, these guys have proven the formula. Like, just, just, just claim that the thing's been uh stolen know that there's always going to be some evidence to show fraud and uh extrapolate from evidence of fraud to ev evidence of fraud that actually changed the outcome relying upon the fact that human beings are prepared to pretend that they can't understand english having one word that has two meanings fraud sometimes meaning you've tried sometimes meaning you've succeeded and know that you're going to make a lot of money out of it so like i think and also, no, he clearly thinks he'd be better for America. Like, I think he is a patriot. I think he loves his country, rightly or wrongly, in terms of, uh, you know, whether his values are the best. He loves his country, and I, he wants to stay president, and he thinks that this is the best route to do that. And truth doesn't matter to him. And, and sort of after this, I'd love to talk about uh, a quick book about truth not mattering. But so I think Trump, Trump figures the last four years have proven anything. It's proven the death of truth in America. And so he's not going to play by the rules of truth. He's going to play by the rules of they stole the election and let's see where we can take it. I think that's the main thing that's going on. Um, maybe uh, he believes what he's saying, but I struggle to. Uh, no, I'm not. Right. Yeah, no, I'm going to leave it at that. 
yeah, so what's my take? I think that Trump basically, that all presidents have a singular duty, and that's to protect and uphold the strength and integrity of the republic. And I think that Donald Trump has failed in that. In this election, I, I was more I was a bit torn between who, 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 should, who I thought would be better for the country, whether it would be Joe Biden or Donald Trump. I think that Trump's showing in this post-election thing, I think, of course, he has the right to challenge these things in court. But he hasn't just challenged them in court. He hasn't suggested, oh, there could be fraud, or I think that, no, no, he said there is fraud, and he won. He's not respected the process. He's poured uh, petrol on the fire of a country that, as we've talked about before, is not in the healthiest psychological place right now. And he's made it worse, quite frankly. Um, as as much as he can, correct, correct. And correct. I think for that he should be roundly condemned, and he should be thrown out of the Republican Party in disgrace for leading them firstly to this to this defeat. Although it's not entirely a defeat for the party, but it is an embarrassment that in an election where the Republicans mobilized an enormous number of voters, and this was partly due to Trump's incredible political skill at appealing to uh, uh, some parts of the electorate. Um, he really did motivate a lot of people to go out there and vote. But ultimately, even though the Republicans did really well in Senate and House seats, they lost this election. Uh, they, lo- they lost it to Joe Biden. And I think that's because voters may agree with the Republican Party, but they don't agree with its figurehead, with its champion. Um, he, There are some, some real consequences from this already. Uh, you know, People will often say, oh, but Hillary Clinton never conceded. What, since when is Hillary Clinton the standard of good behavior that one needs to pass in order to uh, say that something is good or bad, right? Just because Hillary didn't concede doesn't mean that Donald Trump then has the right to not concede. It was bad when she did it. and well, I mean, she did concede on the night, but then she subsequently kind of took it back and said that Russia did it. Uh, which in some ways is less destructive, I suppose. Um, but that's not, yeah, that's not the model for, 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 for good behavior. And I, 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 I will be glad to see the back of him. I think he has not been good for American politics because his central, his central skill was driving the left mad. And as Coleman Hughes says, it's not great to have a deranged left. <laughs> you want sane left. Because then you have a sort of reasonable bounds of politics in which you can uh, negotiate. And if the if it's between dysfunctional, not great Republicans and completely insane left, then the Republicans are not going to have too much of an incentive to improve themselves. All they have to say is, hey, at least we're not as crazy as those people. And that's not good yeah, for yeah. politics. Like lowest yeah. common denominator politics is not good. Um, even though, un- unfortunately, that's very often the case. It's not what should be aspired to. Um. Yeah. What um, do you think of I'm that? I'm with yeah. you 100. percent No, dude. I think that's a very good take. I think that I it's uh it's lamentable because his achievements were astonishing. Um, on the economy, I think his foreign policy was really, as we've discussed, uh, it was all, it was a bit all over the place. Okay. Well, so my feeling is his foreign policy was was head and shoulders above. Obama's, Bush's, and Clinton's. And that's not to say that he didn't make mistakes, and it's not to say that they didn't have successes. Um, but I think that he he did really well there, and that's where the president exercises a lot of power. Right, that's, so that's his realm my, of most my people. So yeah. my feeling is that, I mean, there's kind of, there's, he, he a, a disgraceful exit. I thought, you know, oddly enough, when, when Donald Trump was elected in 2016, I I tried writing, I wrote this piece and I submitted it and it never got published where I, where I said, you know, here's the best way this could end. Trump could run for one term, be the great disruptive change maker, drain the swamp, um, really turn America on its head, uh, take it from being a bipartisan issue that you shouldn't really talk about, Xeroxing jobs to China, Mexico and so on. To, to talking about uh, sort of protecting your working class in a way that's consistent with global growth and making it happen, which is what he did. I thought he would do all... My, my, so, I, so I predicted some of the good things that he would do in the sort of like uh, wish list, a uh, little piece, but, but this was all predicted 
predicated on, I said, you know, the great thing that Trump might do is he might say, I'm pretty old and I'm a businessman and I know as a businessman that you've got to look at trends and the trend is that American presidents usually have terrible second terms. And so I'm telling you now, I'm not going to run for a second term in office. And I thought that would set him up to just have like such an interesting presidency and then also leave America with its hands right, in the air afterwards of like, what do we do now? Where do we go from here? Like the Trump haters would be really at, at a loss really of what undermined. to do. Yeah. And um, because instead, because they you know they've been painting him as a dictator for all, all these years, and instead he would have been like the Roman hero Cincinnatus, who once the republic is saved returns to his plow to yeah. carry on with his good work. And that's yeah. how he sold himself. I'm a businessman. I don't want to be a politician. I'm just doing this for a minute. And I thought if he did, I th I think if he had done that kind of factually, he would have been one of America's better presidents. I mean, he, he would put his hand up to be one of the best presidents of the 21st century. It's a long century. Who knows what's going to come? Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it would be, be such an unusual move. But instead, then it looked like he's clearly not going to go away. And there's a whole machine around it. And that kind of makes sense. You know, people. Mm. But then, then, like, from the beginning, guys like Bill Maher, who is the late night funny guy that I, I mean, I don't watch any of them anymore, but he, he, I I do I do tune back into him now and then. He gives very fair interviews to guys from the left and guys from the right. He's very grumpy with both sides. He's very clear that he's on Team Blue, but that that doesn't put him above criticizing both sides. I like that about him. And he would go on and on about how Trump would stay in power forever if he could and that he was a dictator. And that seemed to me to be Trump derangement syndrome. I thought Bill Maher's gone deranged. But he was right, and I'm wrong. Like, and that is that's very, yeah. it's it's never nice to be wrong, at a personal level, and it's extremely yeah, man. It's it's condemnable. This behavior, claiming that you've won the election, claiming that it's been stolen from inside the White House, from the most powerful position in in the world, it's uh, it's 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 irresponsible. And I wish that he he would stop doing it. I wish that he didn't do it. Let, let me give an example of how it's a bit uh, of how it's of how it can be a bit irresponsible. So Trump says that it's stolen. He says that Philadelphia is really swinging it against him, um, and that there's all these fake votes coming out of Philadelphia. Well, firstly, that part uh, this is Philadelphia's the big city in Pennsylvania. It's very blue. It's eighty percent dead. In 2016, Hillary Clinton won eighty-two percent of the vote in Philadelphia. This year, Joe Biden has won 81% of the vote in Philadelphia. So no, Philadelphia is not carrying uh, him to victory. And yet, two guys from Virginia got into their cars, loaded with guns, drove up to the main voting center in Philadelphia and planned to enter into the, into the thing armed to, we're not clear what, possibly stop the count, possibly observe the count to make sure there was no cheating from their perspective we don't really know but they plan to do this and obviously it's not directly donald trump's fault right these guys obviously were a bit wacko but he's clearly adding uh <laughs> reasons for them to go and take over a building with guns right he's he's, he's giving making them justification. it an esteemable thing to do he's he's saying right as, as a fount of esteem coming from the White House, I'm telling you that you're a good person if you go out and stop the count. Right. He said he's, he, him and a lot of his allies, especially a lot of his allies who have even been more forthright in, in some cases. I saw like conservative writer Mark Stein say that this is the greatest electoral fraud in American history and it's a totally stolen election. Um, which, which, like Tammany Hall, God, let's go back to 1900 and Teddy Roosevelt's days. Like, woo! Anyway, carry right. on. Right. Right, and and the fact that JFK stole the election in uh, in, in in 1960, probably, probably, we don't know for sure. <laughs> this Unions this really great. is anyway. Go on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is not good. You don't do this, and you, you, you know a lot of a lot of people who who defend Trump will say, yeah, but Antifa burns down cities, and yeah, okay, but since once again, since when is Antifa the standard by which everyone else's behavior should be modeled against? It's not. You know, they are so far out the bounds of decency 
that to come even close to them to just be slightly better than Antifa is not it's not good enough. Uh, Trump supporters aren't rioting. Okay, that's good. That's the, that the minimum good. standard. <laughs> I respect that. No, I, and I like that. I and and, I, and I'm glad. I must say, I am glad to see that point being celebrated by other Trump by Trump supporters on Facebook because I think that's an interesting yeah. way of setting the standard of saying, guys, we've got to we've got to hold yeah, that I higher ground if enough. nothing else. That, that that's uh, fair enough. No, so so I don't I don't think the public are off point that much. I mean, there are the the lone wackos. Um, and if guys want to show up to protests that are peaceful and they're armed and it's within the law of their state, then then let them do that. Uh, but I, I think it's I really want to focus that criticism on the president. And I want to say one yes. more thing about the public, which is that, you know, I feel I feel honored to share a podcast for for a while now, for years now, I don't know, with one Nicholas Lorimer, who has actually <laughs> put in the Go effort on. election after election to be an observer. You know, if you're a South African and you're watching this and you're thinking, well, we've got the Electoral Act coming up that's going to change the way that our things are counted and it's like, you know, the ANC is, is looking like losing its majority and what about that? Or you're an American listener, wherever you are, you know, don't be reactive, be proactive. If you're concerned about the credibility of the election in your country, in your county, in your state, in your province, in your municipality, in your, in your little ward, in whatever part of South Africa you're in, it doesn't take that much. It's laughable. When Nicholas first told me that he had volunteered for elections since he was a lighty, I laughed at him because I remembered <laughs> sort of the idea that I had driving past election stations. And I never voted until 2019. You know, I was so on the opposite end of the scale. And I remember driving past election stations <laughs> you and away, seeing dude. those guys in their shirts and their little clipboards walking around and sweating. And, oh, my God, it just looked like the most boring thing you could possibly do in your life. And I thought it was silly. And I don't know. I kind of I've spent, you know, part of being a journalist is like going around and speaking to people whose life stories you know how sad it is to speak to someone whose life story is the story of a nation. That's not the way a life story should be. Life story should be like, you know, special and unique and distinct when it's like the 15th person you've spoken to who has been crushed by the same policy. And you know that there are tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions like them around the country. That That is a sign of failure. And and I realized I was part of that failure, political apathy, not just not voting, but not, but not, but not, not even respecting people who put in the effort to, to monitor elections. That is a, that's a bad failure. And I'm sorry for that. I'm embarrassed about that. And, uh, and I hope that people who are watching this in America, in South Africa, around the world, because everyone's watching this, I hope that it, you know, one of the good yeah. things about this election, as you said, highest voter turnout in America in a hundred years. Yeah, so the yes. Democrats are going to say we got the most votes for a president ever. Good for them. Well, highest voter the turnout. Most. <laughs> yeah, good for America that it got the highest voter turnout. And good for the world, I hope, if people switch on to the fact that it is drudgerous. It's drudgerous to, to go and observe an election. And it's also important. You know, not everything in life yes. is, is, is sexy that matters. So respect to those guys. I want to pivot for a moment to to uh to to another sort of slant on what's going on because at one okay. level you know as i gestured i think you're right to take this seriously and to say that trump really thinks he's the president at another level i'm still thinking that trump you know is going to try his legal challenges and he's going to leave he's he's not going to you know they're not going to force him out of the white house they're not going to drag yeah, him yeah, out of the white I house that completely he's not he's not going to have to be you know taken out by seal team six <laughs> this is no. This is, this is I, a fantasy that some people have. He's he's going to leave long before that. Yeah, and and there's a lot of sadism. I've been seeing friends of mine that are so sweet on Facebook. Again, old sort of Princeton friends, sort of saying things like, uh, you know, yeah, I can't, I can't wait to see, you know, and and South Africans, I can't wait to see Trump dragged out. Or I'm looking at the map and seeing which places voted for Trump and making sure I never visit those places. And they, they're not being funny. These are sincere people. Uh, I like some of the funny stuff, like Trump had the 2020 experience, uh, you know, got the plague, lost his job, soon to be evicted. Like, <laughs> really that's hilarious. Really you, whether you love yeah. him or hate him, that's funny. 
Yeah. But I think, yeah. but there's a kind of sadism that I'm seeing in the in the anti-Trump side that's that's as disturbing to me as the sort of they stole the election thing. But what I'm seeing above that is an eagerness to monetize those feelings, the feelings of sadism mm. on the one side and of and of uh, self-righteous sort of indignation on the other. And because I was feeling that, I decided to read a book uh, by a philosopher, I think called Harry Frankfurt, who was a Princeton philosopher. It was published, I think, in 2010 or 2011 uh, when I was there. And it's called On Bullshit. And I, and I read it this morning. And I know it's a bit early for recommendations, but I just want to say sort of what his argument is and why I think he really gets to something very important about what's been happening in America before Trump, through Trump, and that is looking like it's going to persist after Trump's presidency. So there's truth and then there's lies. And Frankfurt's point is that if you're telling a lie in the conventional sense, then you really care about the truth. And if you lie, you're always lying. You're almost always lying about two things. The one thing is the state of the world. And the other thing is what you believe the state of the world to be. So a lie is different to just getting something wrong because, because of that second bit. So concrete example to just make it clear that he uses, which I think is good. I've got $20 in my pocket. That's like a claim. Okay. And if I say, I, by the way, I don't, but if I said to you, I have $20 in my pocket, I'd be misrepresenting the way the world is, but I'd be also implying to you that I believe I have $20 in my pocket. So there's also a claim about like what my state of mind is that's implied. And, and both are false, but the, the claim about the world is the really misleading one. And then the claim about the state of mind is the, is the implicit one. And the idea with bullshit is that something different is going on. When you bullshit someone, you're not misleading them in the same way about the way the world is. Sometimes bullshit artists can actually call it correct. And so you need to look at the state of mind to find what the essence of bullshit is. This is his argument, Frankfurt's argument. And he says, for the liar, St. Augustine, like 700 years ago, distinguished eight kinds of liars. And seven of those kinds of liars were, he didn't call real liars. He said, they're going for a goal and they think the only way they can get there is by deceiving someone else. And so they've got to deceive them about how the world is and about how their mind is in order to get their goal. So lying is just like a, a, a means to an end. And so they're lying, but they're not real liars. Uh, so he didn't say it's not wrong, but he thought that they haven't seen the light of God, which would show them that, that telling the truth is always a better way to get to the goal. But the eighth kind of liar he called the real liar. That's someone who lies for the sake of lying. They, they just love to deceive. They just get a pleasure out of deceiving other people. And that's pretty weird. Um, but that's the eighth kind of liar. And Frankfurt's argument is that the bullshit artist is even more of an enemy of truth than the lying lover. Because what defines the bullshit artist is that they just don't care about truth or lies. To quote him, he says... A bullshitter's statement is not germane to the enterprise of describing the truth. And I think we're all familiar with that experience. And he highlights this kind of experience as a bull session. And I remember when I was in America, we had bull sessions. And that's when dudes are hanging around. And Nicholas and I sometimes have this. You know, sometimes you don't know what you actually think about something. Or you're talking about a topic that's difficult, sex or religion and some kind, sometimes politics, sometimes economics, sometimes your personal life. And so you're just trying out different ideas. It's, it's almost like going to a clothing store and trying out different outfits to see what looks best. And so there's a mutual understanding that people aren't speaking 
the truth as they see it. They're not representing the world as they believe it to be. They're not even representing their own state of mind as they sure it is. They're just trying out different ideas to see how it feels. That's like a bull session. And I think it's very useful. But a bullshitter is someone that applies that same mode of this is not about the truth. This is about something else. The standards of truth and falsity don't even apply. So this is not like lying and trying to convince something, someone that something is true that isn't true. This is just about something else. Uh, that's what a bullshit artist is all about. Now, Frankfurt doesn't get into what that something else is, but I think our listeners would be completely unsurprised by what I think it usually is, and it's the pursuit of esteem. Bullshit artists are usually not really concerned with the truth, they, they're concerned with getting you to think that they're esteemable, that they're cool, or that they're smart, or that they're great, or that they're patriotic, or super passionate, or whatever it is. That's the key to the bullshit artist. And the, and the really disturbing thing is that bullshit artists are not always bad. Sometimes they're great. Cheerleaders are great bullshit artists. And everyone knows that they're bullshit artists. So it's like a bull session, right? When the cheerleader says, we've got the best defense and yay for us, or we're going to beat them and yay for us, even though we're 50 points behind, or we're going to win this game, even though there's one minute left and you literally can't score all the points you need when you've got one minute left. The crowd goes wild because the cheerleader is not actually, he doesn't care about the truth. He's making statements that sound like they are propositions, which means they have truth content which can be measured against the world and found to be true or false. But that's not actually the point of the statement to be true or false. It's just to sound nice to the crowd, to the fans. The cheerleader wants to sound nice to the fans. And the fans know that about the cheerleader. They don't love the cheerleader because he's the best at analyzing the game. They love the cheerleader because he's the best at getting them aroused. And that's the sort of pact that the, that the fans and the cheerleader have with one another is that they'll renege the truth for however long in exchange for mutual arousal and and that's the sort of grand scheme of bullshit which is fantastic in its in its place and is completely corrosive out of its place and that to an extent seems to me to be what has happened in america very generally uh on team blue and on team red that real performers real data drivers real policy wonks real solutions oriented thinkers people who are self-critical and critical of their own team they've sort of been left behind by the by the fracas right, yeah. by the noisy and donald trump's comments about the election being stolen strike me to some extent uh to a significant extent to to hopefully the this is the most important thing that they are. I'm, this is very terrible because this is, this is, as I said on Frankfurt's argument, I think he's right. This is even worse than a liar. A liar cares about the truth. He wants to deceive you about it. A bullshit artist just doesn't, all he cares about is do you like me and do I like you? Um, but I think the best option is that he is bullshitting and that he's proving himself to be the bullshit con artist that his critics often made him out to be because he doesn't really want, he doesn't really want to deceive Americans into thinking that the election was stolen, uh, which would imply military coups and, and fights in the White House right, between yeah, SEAL yeah. Team 6 and the private army. That's If, if people <laughs> really believed it, that's what would be happening. I don't think that's what's happening. Instead, I think it becomes a badge of honor, oh a badge of pride, rather, or vanity. Like, if you are truly in Team Red, then you will say that the election has been stolen you'll say that there's been fraud which is definitely true and then say therefore even if even though it's only definitely true that one or two ballots were were rigged that the whole election was rigged and and that the, and then you must keep saying it and if you don't say that you don't get invited to our parties you don't get to join our businesses you don't get to be right. cool in our books and likewise there's this bullshit artistry from the other side which has been going for the last four years about the russia hoax i mean i think it very quickly became apparent to me yeah. that while some people really did believe that there was genuine deception and some people were genuinely trying to be deceptive, that most people were treating this at the level of a comedian, talking about a president going to a hotel in Russia and getting urinated on prostitutes, you getting urinated on by prostitutes, and that how some that's somehow describing world politics. Like 
I don't I think the reason that comedians held onto that line so so well was that it was is that they're bullshit artists. They just want you to laugh and you go the contract with the comedian is this doesn't have to be true. It just you just have to entertain me and I'll laugh and that entertains you and then you'll entertain me. And I'll be right, it's, it's just it's just it's just what's done in those circles. Yeah, it's just what we say. It's a little ritual. So this election, so tragically, the world's oldest constitutional democracy with the most powerful military, the highest wealth stock, uh, 2020 election in the middle of a plague, like the stakes couldn't be higher. And I think it's all bullshit. Like, I think that's what it's become, man. This is <laughs> the like grand bullshit students. election. <laughs> yeah, but, but, I'm, but I'm right. I am like a university student. <laughs> Accepting that the bloken, the bloken clock, the bloken crock is right this time. This really well, is bullshit, man. It's, it's bullshit. It's, it's, people aren't, I don't see people engaging. Most of, most of, even, okay, let's go to News 24. News 24 says mm. that uh, it quotes Daniel Silk, who is often a good political commentator, sometimes makes some silly mistakes, saying that, you know, uh, the, Biden administration is going to be much more uh, good for South Africa. And in particular saying that the Trump administration did not engage with South Africa. And then they've got three other political commentators yeah, I haven't heard of saying the same of, thing. It's bullshit. It's categorically bullshit. The American I believe that's administration, isn't it? they engaged with us. Mike, yeah. Mike Pompeo directly spoke to South Africa's policy of expropriation without compensation. We had Lana Marx here engaging on various forms, some sympathetic, some critical, uh, you know, this is like, it's, but, but when Daniel Silk says that Trump's administration did not engage with South Africa and Biden's, Biden's administration will engage with South Africa, I don't think he's trying to deceive anyone. I don't think if I, if I write him an email saying, by the way, you know, here's, here's a link to a speech that Mike Pompeo made in February 2020 about South Africa in Addis Ababa in the presence of a Biahmed and South African diplomats. Uh, so actually, you've made a factual error. I don't think Daniel Silk is going to email News 24 and say, "Oh, I'm very sorry, I made a mistake." Yeah, because we have to I don't think this right now. <laughs> because I don't think he cared. Like he was, he didn't care about the truth. It wasn't about trying to trick people into into thinking that Trump's administration didn't engage. It's about putting a little loyalty signal out into the ether that, uh, you know, Biden is Biden's for some team. Trump was for another team and I'm for Biden's team. And here we go. So that's like a, that's a domestic version of how this bullshit artistry goes, uh, in, in, in connection to this election. And I think it's extremely concerning. I think another extremely concerning statement comes from Biden himself, who in his speech sort of thanked did this fabulous American thing where he, he makes his basically his acceptance speech and he says, thank you to white voters. Thank you to Hispanic voters. Thank you to women. Uh, thank you to men. And then a paragraph on thanking black voters saying, you know, you gave me this election and I'll never forget it. And you're my guy, you're my people and I'm your people. Here we go. And that together with the New York times commentary and so much of the commentary I'm seeing from the left is like saying, you know, Biden won because black people voted for him completely overlooking the fact that Biden performed worse amongst black American voters than pretty much anyone in my lifetime. That Trump, you know, seems to have made some inroads into this sort of classic blue, red, black, white divide. I will, and I will, that that's I will, a very important factor. And yeah, and it's, me, and I don't let me, think... Let me interrupt that, you here for just a second. Um, and that's, I think it's going to take a little while to just work out exactly the magnitude of this. I am a little bit skeptical of some of those uh, exit polls. Exit polls are often a little bit off. And I think that this year, considering that they had to try and integrate people who went to the polls with people who voted by mail means that they're probably going to be off by more. So um, yeah, I think we're going to have the polls be, going, if yeah, you look yeah. at the polls going into it, if you look at Gallup, you look at Pew, you look at right. 538's uh, accreted things. Trump definitely gained amongst black voters. So to say that black, firstly, yeah, I don't think we, you what I'm saying, saying is we don't know that. What I'm saying is we don't know the scale of it quite yet. I think that's correct. going to take a while to correct. sort of shake up by looking at the data. But is anyone waiting for that? Is Biden waiting no. for that? No, <laughs> of course that not. Black voters made the difference because <laughs> well, it's not about look, you, truth or falsity. It's not about what's yeah. true or false. It's about some kind of team. 
And a lot of people who belong to Team Black happen to be white. A lot of people who belong to Team Capitalist happen to be Indian. A lot of people who happen, and you know, of all races, whatever, and black. It, it's there's like there's just a there's just a surrender. The, this idea of people making statements which ought to have truth values that are not germane to the enterprise of describing the truth. This just seems to describe an ever increasing. Uh, proportion of the discourse that I encounter both in professional and social media and I think there's been a direct correlation between the heat of this election part of the heat of this election is like is blood on the streets and you know during protests earlier in the year part of it is coronavirus and lockdown part of part of it is um, uh, rhetorical uh, mudslinging of the most egregious kind really nasty name calling but in a way I'm just trying to make the point that I'm not not so sure I'm that worried about the name calling as I am about the bullshitting, about the sort of mm. conversation that sounds like it's about facts, but it's really just a bull session where you're trying on different clothes in the hopes that someone's going to say, hey, that looks sexy. And then you and then you stick to it without caring yeah, about truth yeah, or not. He's very possibly saying this because he uh, he wants to win back those black voters that he didn't do so well amongst by flattering. Exactly. Them. And and it's Trump right. and it's Biden and it's Kamala Harris and you know it's like it's just uh, the antidote to that I think is the thing to look for for the next four years. And it's not a politician, you know. Yeah. It's like uh, a, it's it's in yourself actually to start with, and in my you know I mean for me it's in myself. Because I also feel tempted now and then to, like, I was on on Seatless show, uh, Big Daddy Liberty hosted us on the Big Daddy Liberty yeah, show, which is really great, because uh, he gets like uh, tens of thousands of views. <laughs> so maybe we've got some more listeners from that, and if so, but you're very <laughs> welcome. So. Um, but, uh, but you know, I said that Biden's like a walking corpse, and it is funny, and. I, it, I said it because I'd just seen a picture of him without the makeup and the lights, and it really was very disturbing. But it's also not a nice thing to say. It's like it's an in, it's a nasty thing to say, and I and I apologize then, and I am sorry that I said that because I don't want to fall into the trap. I don't mind making jokes, especially privately with friends about all candidates and all things. But you know, there's just like I feel a bit sensitive to the way that right, I the can discourse fall into is, the trap is toxic enough of, that one doesn't being, want to add to it. Of just being another bullshit artist. I don't want to be, I really, no. if I'm getting anything out of this election, not this election, but this post-election week of of just vitriol, of people saying my dad's only a good dad because he voted for this guy, or people saying I don't want to visit that area because of those guys, or people saying they stole the election, so let's go blow up the White House when Biden gets into it. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that adds to that. I want to do something that actively checks against it, um, and not, and America is, I'm so far from America, but really, you know, bringing it back home, like we have such deep issues and we are, so, and we've got to be so critical and we've got to be so proactive and we've got to be so practical. And I think falling into that trap of, of cheerleading and fandoming and bullshitting, I think that's just, uh, I think that's a trap that we do well to, 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 you know, just draw, draw a line around it. You know, and I think there is room at a cocktail and there is room with your friends. You know, we must we must have bull sessions. We must life must have comedy and it, it, it must have a place, but it can't be the center of politics. And it definitely can't right, be the right. center of professional especially, journalism, especially not in this environment. Uh, there'd be more scope for it in an environment that was more placid and people were more respectful of each other um, to push in the other direction. Uh, so let me I think we need to start wrapping up now. Uh, so let me let me let me just start by saying, what are we kind of looking at the position that the early Biden administration is going to be in? Um, let me f start by saying, we're going to see uh, there's a runoff election in Georgia where two Senate seats are going to be competed for. The winner of that will control the Senate. I put my money on Republicans, but it's still undecided. Um, yeah, and just to I be clear, the reason for that is that the one Republican senator had like forty nine percent of the votes, and the Democrat right, right. had like thirty five. So yeah, right, exactly. So it's 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 pretty pretty solid. Um, I think uh, 
if if he doesn't if he doesn't take the Senate, if the Dems don't take the Senate, Biden will be the first president to come into office without the Senate in I think more than a hundred years. So he's going to be one of the weakest presidents in American in American modern history. Uh, what else? What else is there? I think we're really going to know what the Biden administration is going to be like. Um, firstly, by his rhetoric, which so far has been kind of uh, a bit, you know, uh, unifying, cuddly, marshmallowy, which is quite nice. But more also importantly, a bit also a bit yeah, also, woke. That, that also thing of woke. like thanking your voters by race, man. Yes, by race I'm not a, is, I'm is not very a fan much. Of that. I'm really not a fan no, of neither that. am I. Neither am I. Neither am I. Uh, that, that's that's a good point. Um, but it's really we're really going to see where the where the rubber hits the road by who he appoints to his cabinet. And I think that's in kind of March next year. He will need congressional approval for that. So that's probably going to be a little bit different depending on if the Republicans win the Senate or not. Um, but yeah, I <laughs> that's going to be an interesting debate uh, going forward. Um, anything I'm leaving out on, on where Biden stands right now? Yeah, I just want to say about the Senate point, like one of the things Trump has got to be careful of is that if he embarrasses the party too much, he could actually flip the Georgian election by, you know, he doesn't want to be too weak, but if he's too, if he carries on being like this, then he's just going to add incentives for donors and voters to 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 flip the Senate in Biden's favor. I I think that a I think that a, a Senate on the Republican side, Biden in the in the White House, probably is going to create the kind of gridlock that'll be difficult for the getting out of the COVID crisis, but they've already injected a lot of spending, um, so. I think generally it might be good. It might be a good sort of exercise in separation of powers, checks and balances, help him to keep the ultra yeah. left at bay. So, I, you know, stop, I think the biggest stop. challenge to Biden is going to be that he sold himself as not the ultra left, as not Elizabeth Warren, yes. not Bernie Sanders, centrist, center left. I thought there was no center left. Ha ha ha. That's my little pun in America. <laughs> but, uh, and now Biden's going to have to prove it or not. That's the test of his presidency is going to be yeah. at the end of it. Is there a center left? Yes, no, that's, that's, I think that's exactly correct. Right. So recommendations, what should we recommend? Uh, I can go first if you want. Please, Nick, you, you always do, uh, better. So go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm going to do a shameless self plug here. Um, Gabriel and I both appeared on a video put out by Sikhle Ngobesi, also known as Big Daddy Liberty, on his YouTube channel. And the video was called The Race to 270 Votes. Will Trump or Biden win the 2020 US election? It was recorded a couple of days ago. Um, so it's a little bit out of date, but I think we weren't too terrible. We talked a little bit about the deracialization of the American electorate. Uh, was kind of one of the big themes we talked about. Um, so that's Big Daddy Liberty's YouTube channel, The Race to 270 Votes. And you can then see the two of us with our magnificent beards. Yeah. And he's really entertaining and high energy, and it's great. Yeah. I like yeah, that. I'm going to follow your lead in doing a self-plug. Um, guys, you know we write for The Daily Friend, uh, which is also run yeah. by the IRR, just like this podcast. And yesterday I published a piece in The Daily Friend about the NICD, the National Institute for Communicable Diseases in South Africa, whose data or whose daily data on hospital surveillance, ICU ventilator oxygenation numbers and on COVID-19 and hospital admissions in October, in most of October, just went missing. And I've been in communication right. with them, really <laughs> poor about responding to that. And I sort of give some graphs and, and give you a, if you want to know whether we're facing a second plague, go read that piece. Um, I think it's important, and I think it's important that the NICD sort of wakes up. Uh, they've got a lot of great people who work for them, but their comms department and... Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, and the other thing good. I want to plug is that I've got a piece coming up in the Daily Friend about a speech that's been going viral. If you haven't seen the speech, uh, uh, YouTube Biden 1986 South Africa. There's a speech he made about South Africa as a senator in 1986. Uh mm. And I've and it's been it's it's sort of been viewed a quarter of a million times in the last month or so, and a lot of people I've spoken to have been looking at that speech, and yeah, I've just written about it, um, and I think I've put it better in writing than I could put it in speech. So please check out the Daily Friend, and uh, yeah, you know, check that piece out. Check out what Nicholas writes. Check out what our colleagues write. I think it's a solid site, and we we don't often talk it up, so I'm just taking this chance to do that. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure many of you who are actually listening to this probably uh, 
are, are listening to us through the Daily Frame website. Um, so spread the good word, please. Uh, it is a great site, and we're happy to be happy to be uh, in, uh, associated with it. Yeah. Anyway, um, we're lucky, hey. We're fortunate. I think I feel I feel so fortunate that we're not part of a political party. I don't know. I feel like we're. You know, I talk about teams, and sometimes it makes it sound like I'm not a team player. Like I love teams, and I love the team that I'm in. So yes, that's that's a, it's a nice time to count blessings, as the world seems to be turning itself upside down, and uh, and that is one of the blessings in my life. And if you're listening to the show and you read the Daily Friend and you support the IRR, then you're part of the team too. So, you know, we're very glad to have you. It's uh, yes. it gives it gives it gives our it definitely gives our lives meaning. One hundred percent. Uh, and I think that is all the time we are giving to this episode. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, you keep that flag of liberty flying out there. And uh, we will see you next week, where no doubt there will be new exciting developments across the world, which we will be able to talk about, uh, or at least complain about, or moan about how everyone is wrong except us. But on the American election, we were right. We called it right. <laughs> 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 <laughs>